Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, it is my pleasure to bring back to the show a guest who has been talking with us about ethics and the importance of leading and working with trust. It is my pleasure to welcome Rabbi Yonason Goldson back to the show. Yonason is Director of Ethical Imperatives, LLC, which teaches professionals how good ethics is good business and the benefits of intellectual diversity. He's a keynote and TEDx speaker, trainer, coach, and community rabbi, as well as a repentant hitchhiker, recovered circumnavigator, former newspaper columnist, and retired high school teacher in St. Louis. He's authored hundreds of articles applying ancient rabbinic wisdom to the challenges of the modern secular world. His sixth book, Grappling with the Gray, an ethical handbook for personal success and business prosperity, came out this past October. You can visit him at his website, yonasongoldson.com. It is my pleasure to welcome Rabbi Yonason Goldson back to the show. Thank you, Tina. I'm glad to be back with you. So our first conversation was fascinating. You've got such a rich background, both personally as well as professionally. And we had the second half of our conversation started to really look at ethics and the types of work that you do in this arena. Let's kick off the second part of our conversation with what is probably a tough question to really, I guess, get our arms completely around in such a short period of time together. But do you think that we're facing a crisis in ethics today? And if so, what can we do about it? There's definitely a crisis in ethics. That <laughs> there is a uh, to quote King Solomon again: "The nature of the universe is one thing balanced against another." It's a rough translation, but essentially what he's telling us is that there's a certain kind of of equilibrium in the universe, and that on the one hand, as ethics declines in some areas, it is going to experience a resurgence in others. And I know that just, I've only been in this space for about four years. And in that amount of time, I've seen a a significant increase in the discussions about ethics online, uh, in the media. There is a rising sense that we have to do something about this. And so on the one hand, where do we see the, the most profound breakdown in ethics. Uh, a lot of it's in politics. Some of it is in the corporate world, in the professional world. But at the same time, if you see that the community of, you know, if society at large is recognizing that we can't go on like this, that we have to find a way to restore ethical standards, that itself indicates that we're on the road to a cure. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, a, there's an expression that's not really used anymore, and it may, I don't know if it's true anymore, but they used to say that all politics is local. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that within that is, is some practical wisdom that we can all use. The place to start is with ourselves. How ethical am I? Where am I making compromises? The truth is we all make compromises. I mean, I, I, my, when, I, when, I, when I travel and, and I'm staying in a hotel, uh, my mother loves these hotel soaps. And she always asked me to bring one back for her. Well, the soaps are there for the, you know, the, the, uh, the customers, but they're there for us to use in the hotel. Mm -hmm. They're not really there for us to take with us. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, example you're using because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people in the audience. Right. I mean, yeah, so certainly it's not like taking the towels. <laughs> right. <laughs> Or the pillows or the, or, or, or the vases, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it, it's one of these gray areas. And so every time I'm in a hotel, I go through the, the sort of mental gymnastics of if I would ask them, I'm sure they would tell me, don't worry about it. Go ahead. Maybe I should ask them because then it's all out in the open. Mm-hmm. You know, there, we're, we're willing to make compromises on some level. I think if all of our compromises were the level, on the level of hotel soap, we'd be doing a lot better. But <laughs> the, the point is to, to have these discussions with others and with ourselves, to pause for a moment. You know, if you walk out of a store and you discover that you were undercharged, you know, if you discover you're overcharged, you're going to turn around and walk right back in there, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and you're foolish. You well, yeah, you're going to run as fast as, as fast as you can, right? Well. <laughs> I mean, not me personally, but I, I, I'm giving you an answer for purposes of our conversation. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, in, in, this, in this wonderful uh, play, Man for All Seasons, uh, you know, Thomas More has this character at the end who, who betrays his mentor. And he's given the position of, I think it was Attorney General of Wales. That's sort of like, um, you know, Lieutenant Governor of South Dakota. No, no offense to South Dakotans, but it's, it's not a hugely prestigious position. And uh, Thomas More says to him, it profits a man nothing to sell his soul for all the world, but for whales. <laughs> if you're going to sell out, don't sell out for a pittance. Don't compromise your values for, for you know, I walked out of the shop and I, and I discovered as I'm getting to my car that, that I was, I was undercharged by, by 10 or $20. Is that really worth my integrity for 10 or $20? Am I not worth more than that? If we would hold ourselves to a higher standard in the little things, or at least go through the internal conversation, right. then when we face the bigger challenges, we'll at least have already started to develop our ethical muscles so that we have a fighting chance of getting those right. See, that's the whole thing. You've really hit the nail on the head with, you know, you have to actually start down the path of engaging in this inquiry and conversation with yourself to be able to take this sort of inquiry to what is hopefully the right conclusion, right? But I think when, when folks don't even start asking themselves these questions, then it's a lot harder to get to that finish line. Exactly. Uh, and, it, and it's like anything else. If you start working out and you've never worked out in your life, you, you're going to be tired just going up the stairs to the gym. 
and you're going to pick up the five pound weights and, and you're going to be sweating after, after five minutes. But after a month or two, the five pound weights are not going to be a problem. Of course, then the problem is you need to move on to the 10 pound weights. And if you don't do that, then you're fooling yourself too. You know, when you get on the treadmill and you turn up the resistance, right? In life, we don't want resistance, right? But at the gym, we do. The, the gym is a great place to, to, to learn the lessons of, of proper conduct because we challenge ourselves. We make things difficult for ourselves. And we're not changing, right? You spend an hour on the treadmill. You haven't gone anywhere. But you've made progress because you've changed yourself. And that's why we go there. And when we engage in these kinds of ethical discussions, what we do is we change ourselves. And by changing ourselves, that's how we contribute to making the world better because the people around us are going to notice us. I, I love Jim Rohn's quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you choose to spend your time with people of quality, people who challenge you to be more than you are, then you're going to inspire other people who look up to you, and that's how we're all going to contribute to creating a better world in which we all get to live. That's amazing. And again, I'm going to have to have you come back so we can delve into this a little bit more. I think one thing that would be really helpful as we delve into these issues, and we've touched on a couple of scenarios so far, but can you describe maybe a couple more of the ethical dilemmas that you've maybe personally witnessed or experienced that may be helpful to our listeners? Um, yeah. Here's one. Again, this is, a, this is a small thing. I was going into a tailor, a stamp seamstress, to get a, a pair of slacks hemmed. And I dropped them off. I came back to pick them up. And I, uh, and I gave the the woman check. And she said, is this a local from a local bank? And I said, no, it's, uh, you, you have my address, which is local. First, she said she only takes local checks. I said, well, I'm local. My, my address is on the check. I said, well, what about your bank? I said, my bank is USAA. It's one of the biggest banks in the country. You know, they're, they're located in Texas. Well, she, she said she wouldn't take my check. I said, listen, if you have this policy, it's something you should have made clear to me when I dropped off the slacks and not spring it on me when I come. You know, if, you're, if you own a shop, you can have any policy you want, but you have a responsibility to not make your customers bear the burden of your particular sensitivities without giving them fair warning. And I, you know, I, had to, I had to come make a special trip, come back later with, with, with cash for her. And I didn't want to patronize her again because I felt that, that she had not done her due diligence to protect my time and, my, uh, and, and to look after me as a customer. So if you, if you want, you can have whatever, you can deal on whatever terms you want to, but you have to make sure that you're treating the people that you deal with fairly and not setting, putting unreasonable expectations on them. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we could have a whole conversation about what's reasonable or unreasonable in terms of expectations on people, right? I think it depends on the circumstances, right? 
Sure, and then that's why that's why communication is so is so important, because if you're upfront, you know, very often what we do is we're we're conflict averse, so we have this idea that you know this is going to to result in some conflict, and what do we do? We push it down the road, or we think we're being perfectly reasonable, and we don't anticipate that maybe somebody else won't have the same outlook. <laughs> on a situation the way deep we do. So we don't feel there's a need to discuss it because we're so sure that our point of view is the correct one. And then down the line, you know, short-term pain is generally easier to deal with than long-term pain. Short-term conflict is generally easier to deal with than long-term conflict. And if we anticipate situations before they arise, we can often defuse them with a minimum of discomfort so that we don't have to deal with much worse contention later on. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, very, like just very wise advice. So question for you about COVID. We touched on it in our last segment together. Would love to delve into it a little more deeply, as I mentioned in our last segment. I have been asking all of my guests particularly over the last several months as we started getting knee deep into COVID, what their views have been on it, what they've learned from it, and how it's impacted their businesses. I would love to get your thoughts. I mean, you had mentioned that, of course, you do a lot of speaking, and usually those are in-person conferences and meetings. And of course, um, COVID has, has really thrown a curveball into that. And you've been working on virtual platforms like many others. I'm curious as to what the impact of COVID has been on your work in a little bit of a more provocative way. I'm asking the question, meaning that how has the onset of COVID and what you have seen happening with people, both personally as well as professionally, how has that maybe added to your message, reframed aspects of your message. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on the lessons that COVID has taught you. Well, there are a few different ways we could go here. Um, one is, is something that I, I, I've witnessed, although I haven't experienced it because I, I'm a solopreneur, but in businesses, uh, in, in teaching, this is particularly applicable. Uh, but I think in any online, any business that that has you know had to go in in part online, that now that you don't have employees in a place where they are easily observed, the question is, are they going to perform to expectations? Are they going to be responsible for themselves? Well, one response has been, let's create various different types of monitoring systems. So, you know, apparently there's some very sophisticated uh, software out there that can, you know, can track you know, your keystrokes and your eye movement. And, and I can't even imagine, <laughs> you know, sitting at my computer knowing that my productivity is being measured. And, and if I want to, you know, if I want to go out for, you know, to get a cup of coffee or I want to, uh, you know, just get up and stretch for a couple of minutes, that somehow that's going to be 
monitored and computed and, and evaluate me. I mean, that, that creates a real onerous type of um, you know, environment that is going to sap people's energy. Uh, another solution has been, I mean, the solution's not the right word, but another method has been to increase paperwork. You know, fill out all these forms to, to document what you've, what you've accomplished. Well, that means that not only do I now have to deal with all of the extra work of functioning in this new medium, but now I have additional paperwork on top of that. You know, none of this is going to bring about a sense of, of, of uh, love and goodwill from employees. So there has to be, again, goes back to this issue of trust. If, if employers would say to their employees, listen, we understand this is difficult. We, we want to support you as much as possible. We need you to take more responsibility for yourselves. And we're going to trust you to do that mm -hmm. until, we have, until we have reason not to. Well, when you speak to people that way, it tends to encourage them to hold themselves more accountable and to expect more from themselves. Oh, I'm being trusted. I want to earn that trust. Then if you have problems, you can say, listen, um, you know, we'd like to be able to trust you in this situation, but we need you to step up to the plate. You deal with that situation when it arises. Well, and let's, you know, just for the benefit of tying up this part of our discussion, Let's talk about that for a second. So you have the conversation, the way that you suggested framing it, which I think is absolutely the right way to have it. But one of the things that I've been hearing about from some of my friends who work in other places, and just it's something that people have been writing about, have been the challenges of, of managing a workforce remotely. Let's say you've had that conversation exactly as you framed it, and you find that performance continues to not be where it should be. How do you suggest framing that more difficult part two of the conversation? Uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's when the conversations become really uncomfortable. And there do have to be consequences. Um, now, of course, every business is going to have its own way of dealing with these things. It's usually better to have incentives for good uh, performance than to have uh, penalties for poor performance. But, you know, in simple terms, the carrot and the stick often work best together. You can also, and, I, and again, this, this is, there's, a, there's a technical aspect to this that um, is not so much in my wheelhouse, but if there's a way to get employees to monitor one another, and again, not in a sort of uh, um, Gestapo style, <laughs> um, someone's always watching type of thing, mm -hmm. but in a sense that we are all part of a team and a team only prospers when every team member is carrying his or her weight. Uh, and, and, and also in a positive way, you know, to say, listen, um, if you're struggling, let me know how I can help. Is there something I can do to make things easier? And sometimes they're just realities. I mean, parents who are home with little kids, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't even want to think about what that would be like. I mean, my, my, my wife teaches and she has a colleague who has kids who are you know, too old to go in school. Little ones can be in school. 
hers can't. So she's got to be managing her own kids at home while she's teaching her students virtually. I mean, that's a nightmare. You, you can't expect someone reasonably to be working at top performance under those kinds of situations. So there has to be a certain understanding what's reasonable, what's not reasonable, and then be creative. How can we, all of us together, develop ways of supporting one another, recognizing that not every one of us is going to have the same challenges? That's really great advice. And I, I think you're absolutely right. It's just trying to strike that balance and you know, trying to run a business, at least trying to on, on a comparable level to what it was pre-COVID, especially because margins are even thinner and people are trying to do even more with less. And you have the, the, the huge complicating factor that people are doing it remotely, not under the best of circumstances, even if everything else in their lives was going like clockwork. And I think it's just going to be something as, as, as uh, COVID continues to evolve. Kids are back in school now. People are talking about a lot of places not even thinking about having a meaningful segment of their workforce back in the office until 2021. Some people are saying um, at least a year down the road at this point. And so I think that these are issues that we're going to continue to grapple with and are going to continue to evolve over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, you know, there's an expression that the answer is almost always in the room. When people get together and they recognize that they're all trying to deal with the same problems and find solutions and that everybody's voice is heard. You know, you asked about uh, ancient lessons for modern times. When the, when the high court of Jewish sages would meet to discuss um, law or try a case, they always allowed the least distinguished of the sages to speak first. Because if the leader of the court would speak first, nobody would feel comfortable arguing with him. But if the least distinguished speaks first, he's not arguing with anybody. He's the first voice, so he can say whatever he thinks. And mm -hmm. then as they work their way up the line, each person is, is free to agree or disagree without any kind of discomfort. And, you know, for, for a, certainly a, a CEO, for anybody who's running a meeting, to let others speak, to hear them out, to consider their points of view, very often ideas will emerge either from unlikely sources or in the, dis in the course of discussion that might never have, a, have, have emerged had their, you know, the, with a, with a top-down approach to solving the problem. That's a great way to almost round out our conversation, which it's hard to believe that it's almost over. I wanted to ask you another question. I know it feels like we're switching gears a lot here, but there's a lot I'd, I wanted to cover. A question that I've asked a lot of my guests, which is, if you were able to time travel and go back in time and talk to your younger self about what your life experience and professional experience has taught you, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh boy. I don't like that question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have been asked before. <laughs> um, I, I think I would say, you know, I, I wanted for many, many years to have a speaking business. And I used to write for the local paper here in St. Louis. 
And every once in a while, I'd be invited to speak to some civic group, Kiwanis or Rotary or, or, or you know, Daughters of the American Revolution. And it was always well received. And it was fun and I enjoyed it. And people seemed to like what I had to say. But it just never really occurred to me to try to develop this as a business. I had a business. I had a career. I was, I was happy with what I was doing. And if I would have taken a little more initiative, you know, not at the expense of my teaching career, but you know, just a little bit more thought about how to develop this, then when, I, you know, when my school closed and I had to start a business, uh, I would have been much better positioned. And it's that, that, you know, trusting your instincts doesn't mean you have to go all in every time you feel the inclination to do something, but, but try new things, pursue avenues, look for opportunities. You know, luck is, someone said this, I wish I could remember who said this, said luck is like a city bus. It goes round and round and it keeps making the same stops. And if you're at the stop, when the bus comes and you have the fare to get on the bus, which means you've prepared and you're ready to take advantage of a situation when it arise, arises, then luck can take you a long way. Um, so I would tell my younger self, be more alert for opportunities, prepare for the opportunities that you would like to emerge. And that way you'll be able to take advantage of them when they arise. That's wonderful advice. And I think something that can benefit everybody, uh, no matter what they do or where they are in their life. So Jonasson, what is next for you? Obviously we're at a pivotal inflection point as a world 2020. This is the era of Rosh Hashanah. So Shana Tova to you and your family. What are you hoping for in this next year and over the next few years? Well, I, I've learned to expect the unexpected. <laughs> my, my wife has been urging me for years to run for a public office, which I have very mixed feelings about. Mm -hmm. So if, if any of the uh, listeners are, are campaign managers who'd like to support me, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not really counting on that one. Um, developing. I, as I mentioned uh, in the previous segment, I have a book coming out shortly called Grappling with the Gray, which I think is really attuned to the conversation as we need to develop it now, being able to look at situations from both sides before we try to reach a conclusion, make a decision uh, in order that we can respect one another more. So uh, I'll be promoting the book. and. Um, you know, to a large extent, on the one hand, I'm, I'm waiting for the, for the keynote industry to open back up again. But at the same time, uh, I've sort of accelerated my, my efforts to go into online training and coaching. And, uh, and I would hope that I can contribute to advancing the conversation about how we can have more ethical business, how we can have more ethical society. Because... You know, you, you see, I actually, I just put out a video this week in 1793. You asked me to look forward. I'm looking back quite a bit now. In 1793, <laughs> there was a yellow fever outbreak in, in Philadelphia, which was the capital of the, of the United States. It was George Washington's administration. And 
there had been, you know, we, th we think political infighting is, is a new thing. You read the history of what was going on back then. I mean, it was vicious and it was, it was angry. And the nation was really in, in danger of, of tearing itself apart. And when this yellow fever outbreak struck the capital, all the partisans set aside their agendas because there was something more important to worry about. And 20 years later, John Adams wrote, if not for yellow fever, the country might have been torn apart by revolution. And so I wondered why back then, 200 years ago, did an epidemic bring people together? And today, it seems to be driving us further apart. And the answer I came up with is what we've been talking about from the beginning is trust. Mm -hmm. We don't trust each other's motives. If I believe that you're sincere, and I believe that you, are, you have reasoned your way to your point of view, I'm going to relate to you much differently from how I would if I believe that you have some agenda and that you're disingenuous and that you're skewing the facts. It's going to be a completely different type of debate. Well, when, when, we, when, we, can, when we can trust each other's motives, we can disagree, but we can look for ways to work together. If we don't trust our, each other's motives, then essentially we're, we're both seeing one another as enemies of the state, enemies of civilization, and we're going to have to do anything possible to bring each other down. And so to, you know, take, to try to be part of a conversation, of a mindset, of, of a discussion that shows the value earning trust before demanding trust. And I think that's how we can, we can heal our society. And, uh, you know, my, my dream is to be, you know, contributing to that conversation any way I can. That's awesome. And with that, where can our listeners find you and find your books in case they would like to purchase them? It sounds like you've got the one that's coming out in the coming weeks. Where can they find out more about you? Well, the best place is on my website, jonasengoldson.com. And if you go to the navigation bar, you can, uh, you can find my, my blog, my articles, my videos, my, my links to my books, find my TED Talk, and, uh, and all the programming that I offer. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect with me there, a little less so on the other social media platforms. But uh, please, I'm always eager to have uh, listeners reach out and we can take the conversation a step further. Jonasen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a terrific conversation, and I look forward to doing this again soon. I would love to, Tina. All the best. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Jonasen Goldson, and we hope that you will join us next week for a new interview. I am your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.